How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And, uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff on my mind this morning. I just got to put it out there. Uh, uh, some interesting developments, and, uh, I just, the way the Lord has put this morning together for the study, I, I was thinking of going a different route, and just, I started reading chapter four, it just, <laughs> the Lord always has a different plan, and so we got to go with what the Lord says. So, with that, uh, we're going to be doing 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I did change that for the title of this thing, didn't I? Yes, I did. Okay. I hardly have a mind this morning. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, so you'll see in the comments, and then. And uh, for those who can't see it, because this, what we do is we also take the MP3 file and upload it as podcast. So those listening via podcast will not be able to see the comments. But in the comments, I have the question, what are the three points of Bible study? What is the Berean method? And also, additionally, what are the Bible verses used to back up the three points of Bible study? And we see Angela has answered it correctly. She says the Brian method is taken from Acts 17:11. The what equals interpret uh, the what is the interpretation? That's 2 Peter 1, 20, 21. The how is application, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The why is demonstration, 1 Peter 3:15 and Ephesians 6. That is correct. And she also says that they're having crazy storms uh, down in Ohio. Yes, we're supposed to get some crazy storms today where I am. Uh, but I also asked a bonus question. Bonus question. How many interpretations of the Bible are there? And what is the passage that proves your answer? Please explain the passage. So, and we see uh, Olga says, Second uh, Peter 1, 20-21. Here she says, Angela can pick it up from there. Angela can answer. And uh, Angela says, there's only one interpretation, but many applications. That is correct. And if we take a look at the passage, now there are a lot more passages that go with this, a lot more verses that can back this up. There's only one interpretation. But as we see in 2 Peter 1, verse 20, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? That it's not open to private interpretations. It wasn't given by private interpretations. How? Why? Because it came from God, from his mouth, not from individuals. And what it says is what it means. God doesn't change his word. He's, God is not open to personal interpretation. And so it's not by private revelation, private interpretation. It was given by God. And God cannot lie. His word is preserved unto all generations. What it says is what it means. So no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So when people say, well, that's just your, your, your interpretation. Say, like, no, it's not. Because that's what the Bible flat out says. Yeah, but James chapter 2. And they bring in all kinds of other arguments and things. And so I say, well, no, because what does it say? You can't change what it says. If, like, like, for example, we go to the regular argument. You know, For by grace are you saved through faith, not by works. So you can't bring in works. And they will access your interpretation. No, that's what it says. So yeah, it's not open to private interpretation, personal interpretation. What it says is what it means. All right. 
<clears throat> so with that, and uh, yep, you're all you're both right. You're you're both right in this. Angela throws in Google says there are six to maybe seven interpretations of the Bible. Oh, uh oh, I guess. I guess I have to correct myself. I guess because the fact checkers say that there are six to seven interpretations. Oh, no, oh, 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 false, false information. I'm accused of false information because, you know, Google says. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter. Google or Facebook or uh, Kenneth Copeland or the Pope or any other person, any other writing. It doesn't matter who it is, what it is. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Everything else is irrelevant. Everything else is irrelevant. Personal uh, interpretations and experiences and visions, dreams, feelings, opinions, catechisms, commentaries, councils, traditions and religiosity and denominational distinctives and all of that. It's irrelevant. All of it is irrelevant. What it says is what it means. And if any other person, place, or thing, it doesn't matter. If they contradict the word of God, even remotely, then they're wrong. So, is that arrogant? No. Is that obstinance, arrogance, pride? No. It's what it says. You know, one plus one equals two. And... If refusal to change your mind, refusal to even flinch on that is not arrogance, it's standing on truth. It's standing on truth. So we see that this kind of goes in with today's study. So please go grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to take a look at what the Lord has for us today. I also have a bit of a story to tell. Uh, on this passage, which I actually wasn't going to, but the Lord's like, nope, go ahead. I'm like, okay. So I got a bit of a story to tell you when once we get down in here, it kind of proves the point of the first few verses. <clears throat> now, if you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, the previous chapter, chapter three, that we see about the, about being made able ministers of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Then we looked into that at about eight being able, it made us able ministers, able, that's capable, that's confident, competent, that's, uh, that's understanding, knowledgeable, where the Lord teaches us, instructs us. He, he makes us able to go and serve him and speak of him and for him. And ministers, this is servants of, and anybody is a servant of the Lord and be able to go and serve the Lord and speak of the Lord for the Lord, by the Lord, to witness and evangelize, to, to carry all forms of Christ likeness out into the world. First Peter 3.15 and verse, and verse 1 of chapter 4, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this ministry this is given to us. Uh, now, what is your ministry? What is your ministry? So you see, where you are, that's your mission field. You are a missionary in your area, in your circle of influence. You are the missionary of Jesus Christ where you are. That is your mission ground, your mission field. So you, you take the, the word of God, you take the, the ministry of Christ to, to everything that uh, you could affect where you are. That's your mission field. And seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we faint not. God has given us grace and mercy and he helps us in this because God is with me in this. Because God is my strength. 
God is my sufficiency. He is my sanctification. He is my everything. We faint not. So we look at that. We'll have a lot of opposition and troubles and trials in the days to come. A lot of things come down the road to try to hinder us and oppose us. But it doesn't matter. We faint not. Now, to faint is to quit, to give up, to fall apart, uh, to, to, to pass out in ability. Where we're able ministers, we are no longer able. We are unable. We, f we faint not. We do not become unable. Now, like the, the one quote I use often is, slow down if you must, but never quit. Slow down if you must, but never quit. It's like when you're, when you're driving. You ever have been driving your car and you start going up a really steep hill? And your car starts going really slow. Do you give up in trying to drive up the hill? Or you just change gears if need be? You just slow down, but you keep driving up. It may take a bit longer. You can't go as fast as you want, but you slow down. You don't quit. And it's the same thing. Hills come in the way. Uh, now there's obstacles, all this kind of stuff that can come along by people, place, and things. You just keep going. Slow down if you must, but keep going. Never quit. We have received mercy, and this mercy of God is his provision, his guidance, his strength, his, his knowledge, his teaching, and his uh, everything that is of him, his blessings. He says, I am with you always. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean just he just stands by us and does nothing? God is just standing beside us with his hands in his pockets and he's not doing anything? He's just, just kind of along for the ride. No, but that's the way that a lot of Christians kind of view it. Where they have to be the ones to figure everything out. Where it's in, it's in my head, I have to figure it out. I have to do it. I have to overcome. I have to complete the challenge. It's on me. I have to figure out what's wrong. No, no, God's not just along for the ride, but he is invested and partaking, and he is the one that's putting it all together. We are the ones that are along for the ride. He's the one sailing the ship. He's driving the car. He's the one that makes the way in the wilderness. He parts the sea. He tells us where to go, how to go, what to say, when to say it, and he gives us everything. He's the one that puts together the whole trip. We're along for the ride. So, because we've received this great abundance of mercy, because he's given us this mercy, this grace, this, this power, he's given us this great blessing, um, what do I have to worry about? Well, well, I don't know what to do now, says Moses. And what did the Lord say? What did the Lord do? Did God just kind of just throw his hands in the air and kind of look at Moses and like shrug and just kind of, oh, what do you want to do, Moses? Now, see, the Lord knows everything. He puts everything in place. Sometimes we may not like where something is going or how something is happening, but this is where, where we got to trust the Lord regardless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think, what I feel. It matters what the Lord says. And verse 2 is quite interesting, but, but so we've got to read it with verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. I really love that wording. We have renounced 
the hidden things of dishonesty. What is that? Doubt, faithlessness, fear, worry, stress, anxiety, overmuch care. Anything that, that could throw a form of negativity into it. Anything that would make you wonder if it's going to work out. Like, how is that even a question? Of course it is. When is God ever going to go back on his word and not fulfill his promise? When is he ever not going to forgive you? When is he ever not going to hear your prayers? When is he ever going to not provide for your need? So dis the, the things of dishonesty are the things that contradict the promises and the character of God. Anything that is of dishonesty, we renounce it. People, other people come in and they're like, oh, this is horrible. Well, what are you going to do? The temptation to give in to the worry. The temptation to give in to the negativity. We renounce any form of thing, regardless of what it is, that could possibly throw a negative spin on the promises and the character of God. Does that make sense? You get that? Do you see that? We have renounced to renounce, to deny it, to recant, to, to speak against it, to have nothing to do with it, to cut yourself off from it, to stand separate. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Be ye separate. Come out from the world and be ye separate. To renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, trying to take what the Lord has given you and, and you mold it for yourself. To craft, to craft for yourself your own wisdom, your own opinions, your own outlook. Well, I think, I feel, I believe, not walking in craftiness and not walking in ways where you try to make it yourself. Make it about yourself, for yourself, of yourself. It has nothing to do with you. Your feelings, your opinions are irrelevant. It's all irrelevant. The circumstances before you is all irrelevant. Not walking in craftiness. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. What does that mean? Handling the word of God deceitfully. That is now to, to try to use the word of God for your own benefit. Like Kenneth Copeland. Like Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Todd White, Stephen Furtick, Bill Johnson, John Hagee. All of these kinds of individuals like the Pope, like the cults, where they take the word of God and they, they now mold it to their own personal opinions. Cherry picking, Mary says. That's right. Exactly. To cherry pick the Bible for your own benefit. Well, if I wanted to do that, I guess Psalm 23 he leads me beside the still waters. I can make moonshine. That's not That's not what it says. But that is the logic. I keep using that one because it's so stupid. But that's that's the logic. The logic is stupid. Cherry picking is just stupid. Now, what does it say? Read the whole context. There's only one interpretation of the word of God. There's many applications, but it's, again, one interpretation. What it says is what it means. And it always will mean what it says. 
and you can apply it to multiple scenarios, multiple different ways. But again, what it says, what it means. So handling the word of God deceitfully, like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and and uh, the Amish, the Mennonite, the Catholics, uh, the, the Seventh-day Adventists, and all of these individuals uh, who, who say they love the Bible, who say they use the Bible, but they're using it for their own beliefs, for their own personal opinions, their own personal religion, that actually contradicts the true gospel. Anything that would contradict the Word of God even remotely is wrong. It doesn't matter who or what it is. Not handling the Word of God deceitfully. But, rather, by manifestation of the truth. What? By manifestation of the truth, by proving, demonstrating, in, in word and deed. In word and deed, that's, it's not enough to just say it. You can quote all the Bible verses, but prove it. Prove it. That, that to, to live it and to speak it goes hand in hand. If you say it, you got to be doing it, or otherwise you're a hypocrite and a liar. You say you love the Lord, but it works, you deny the Lord. But by manifestation of the truth, it manifests in word and deed, in word and deed. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what's going on. But, but, but this individual, they're, 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 a, they're very important. They're a world famous individual. They're, they're, they have a lot of authority and power. Um, and so, however, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. Apostle Paul stood in front of Nero, the, 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 the crazed God emperor of Rome. And Paul gave him the gospel. You see, because God says everybody's equal. God says nobody is really over anyone else. That all are equal in the eyes of God. And all need to be saved. All need to be saved. It doesn't matter if you're a beggar in the street or Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It doesn't matter. That everybody's to be given the gospel. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God. So therefore, we commend ourselves as servants of God, not in pride and arrogance or any of that kind of thing, but respectfully that we go to every individual and we present them, we manifest to them, we commend ourselves to them and manifest to them the truth of God. What it says is what it means. Now, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This is 2 Peter 1.16. 2 Peter 1.16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, we didn't try to manipulate or control you. We didn't, we didn't lie to you. We didn't make anything up. We didn't try to cherry pick to try to control you. We didn't try to lord over you in any way, shape, or form. We just came to you and we just told you the truth. We didn't use cunningly devised fables of religiosity and tradition and denominational distinctive or catechism. We just, what it says is what it means, and this is what we told you. 
This is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. This is it. No cunningly devised fables. But we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus Christ. And again, the, the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we faint not. Now, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now, well, what does it mean by hid? This is where, as we see in uh, verse 4, the God of this world. Now, hold up. In whom the God of this world that blinded the minds. What, what? God blinds the minds? Is that what it's saying? That God, our God, our Lord, is blinding the minds of people? No. See, this is why it's also so important to study the words and understand the differences. And that that uh, what it says is what it means, but we also got to understand what it's saying. And this is where the uh, three points of Bible study. The what? What is it saying? Now, how is it being said? The specific words and pictures and images, that the, the meanings of the words. We look up in, in the New Testament Greek, the Old Testament Hebrew, and we see what it's saying and how it's being said. And we pair scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now we see in whom the God, now the word God, is a lowercase g. Lowercase g. Now this is important. That the spelling, the grammar, the punctuation, the, the sentence structure... That the way words are being said and certain words that are used, it all are all so important. Now we see lowercase g. How is this different from capital G? Now the word God in and of itself means Elohim. Elohim, which means an elevated one, one in a position of authority and rulership, like a king, prince, governor, magistrate. Now we, we know that the difference here, as there are kings and rulers and princes, but as the Bible says that our Lord, our God, is the God above all gods. The God above all gods. He's the king above all kings. The king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So to know the difference of when it's referring to our God and any other impositions of authority and rule, that when it's talking about the Lord, they capitalize the G so you know it's talking about him. And when it's not talking about him, it's talking about someone else. It's a lowercase g. It's a lowercase g. But, uh, for people, in, uh, or in, uh, whether they be angels or devils or people or whatever else, that's in a position of authority or whatever kind of thing. So we, so we know who, who it's talking about. Now when it says in whom the God, this is a lowercase g. Lowercase g, so this isn't talking about our Lord God. This time was someone else. In whom the God, the authority of this world had blinded the mind. Who, who would be the one who would be in a position of authority and control and power who would want to blind the minds of people against what? The light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Who would want to blind people against the gospel? Well, obviously not God. Unless you're a hyper-Calvinist, then you believe that God has specifically blinded people because he, he specifically made them to burn in hell because, you know, he doesn't love everybody like the Bible says he does. Um, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this is referring to the arch nemesis of God. One who, who believes himself to be the God of this world. The one who said in his heart, I will ascend to the throne. I will be like God. This is talking about Lucifer. That Lucifer is masquerading himself as the God of this world. And he has set himself up as the attempted ruler of this world. And he's trying to call the shots by opposing the Lord and by deliberately trying to sway people away from the knowledge of the Lord. He tries to mess up their minds and their understandings, their, and their logic by creating false Christs, false apostles, deceitful workers, false belief systems. He tries to get them involved with things of this world to, to try to drown out the possible need of the gospel in them. In whom the false God, in whom the lowercase g God of this world hath blinded the minds. Blinded the minds. Well, look at the wording there. Blinded the minds. It doesn't say blinded the eyes, the ears, the mouth. It doesn't say blinded the heart. It doesn't say blinded the heart. It doesn't say it doesn't say stopped the hands. It says specifically blinded the minds. That's an interesting way to say it. Blinded the minds. What what, what is that? This is deliberately where you may have seen it, you may have heard it, you may have experienced it yourself, where you're trying to talk to someone, you're trying to explain something, and you're putting in so much work, so much effort, so much time in this, you're trying to get across, and it's just water off a duck's back, it just that they just don't get it. They, no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many ways you try to explain it, it's just, it doesn't click, it doesn't fit with them. They just don't get it. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you say, they just can't get it. Don't get it. That's a blinded mind. That's a mind that is unable to see or comprehend. Completely, completely unable. Either on purposely willful ignorance or just unknowingly they just don't get it they've never heard it before they just don't get it and whom the god of this world had blinded the minds of now how does he do this how does he do this or jesus actually explained this we see the parable of the sower he sows the seed and some fell on good ground some fell on stony ground some fell among thorns but in the one part he talks about how the fowls of the air come and take away that seed which was sown now it's interesting when you look in the word of god how, how often the bible refers to devils as the as foul birds as certain birds or certain beasts and things that that will come to you now it uses the language in the parables the birds that come and take away that seed that's referring to the devils so when you're trying to witness to certain individuals sometimes there's literally spirits spiritual opposition 
there'll be spiritual uh, persecution opposition upon that person where those devils will literally be on the mind of the hearer and will be deliberately twisting fighting opposing arguing saying uh, saying or teaching or, or manipulating their mind in some way shape or form to to cause that individual to be literally incapable of understanding what you're saying the devil deliberately works and his minions work with him in opposing all of the righteousness of god sometimes the people are literally unaware that this is what's happening and the devils work in such a way they talk in such a way in your mind that you literally think it's your thoughts it's your words uh, they, they, uh, how do you know that the thoughts you're having are your own thoughts how do you know that the thoughts you're having are your own thoughts you see the devil knows scripture all of the devils know scripture really well better than some christians and they know how to manipulate it they know what it says and they hate it you see they know god they hate him that see they, they believe in that they know there's a difference between believing in and believing on they know of god they know what it says and they don't care they oppose him anyways so they oppose the lord they know how to manipulate and cherry pick and they know how to whisper in your mind just in the right way so that you'll listen to it because they know that because by observation and by listening and sometimes by hearing your thoughts they can know how to manipulate your thoughts and whom the god of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who is the image of god should shine unto them now i told you i had a story i can't divulge certain information uh of identity or any of that kind of thing but i got into a debate uh, i eh, yeah into a really crazy debate um it didn't go well i got into a debate with a hyper charismatic in person not online in person and it started nice we were just talking we were talking about different stuff and and i and i was talking about how uh, you know here christian coffee time you know the kind of work we do here and and uh, they're they were familiar with with cct and all this and they're asking about we're talking i mentioned and i mentioned how people gotten saved out of different cults and religions and people gotten saved out of catholicism and islam and jehovah's witness and then they piped up well i know people who that who really nice christians who, who are who go to a catholic church i know some really good catholic christians And they went on to say how they know some really good Catholic priests who are wonderful Christians. Okay. Um, so I very nicely, I just said, you are aware, right, that the Roman Catholic Church preaches a false gospel right that catholics in of themselves who believe the catholic gospel are not saved right you, you understand that they didn't agree 
So I went on to try to explain to them about how, you know, there are many false gospels. It's it's not that they disagreed, but they disagreed. Be I don't understand their logic. I still to this day, I don't understand their logic. This is the other day. Um, and a couple days ago. I, I just I just don't get it. They and anyways, it got really heated. They got really heated. Really heated. They were really mad. And they would they they were trying to not let me speak and so I'd have to talk louder. I wasn't angry. I was very passionate. And I and at one point I got really mad. I got really mad. Because I was telling them that uh, in the next town over, the previous year, I had done some street preaching. And when I was doing street preaching in that, in that town, a, a pastor from the Church of Christ cult uh, came up to me and tried to debate me in the street because Church of Christ believes, uh, uh, not the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's Mormons. I'm talking about the Church of Christ denomination. They're baptismal regenerationists. They believe you are not saved until you've been dunked in water. Um, and that's righteous works starting to gain. And so they tried to debate me in the street and I very nicely showed him the Bible and showed him how that was wrong. This is what the Bible says. And he didn't believe and he, uh, he disagreed with me. And finally he got all in big huff and went storming off. And uh, I was trying to show him how he was believing a false gospel and that he needed to be saved. He needed to believe in the true gospel. And this person that I was debating and it was getting very heated, they said, it just piped up and says, well, you should just leave them in their error. Just love them. Just love them and build a relationship and just leave them in their air. I, I looked at the individual incredulously. My my I, I my jaw was a game. I was just I'm like, do you realize what you just said, right? Leave him in his error. Let him go to hell. That's literally what you just said. And they're like, no, I didn't say that. You're twisting my words. I'm like, you just, you just said. My my wife overheard most of the whole of the whole argument. And, and anyways, to make a long story short, it was over an hour. We were debating, hashing this out, and they couldn't care less. They they said Kenneth Copeland was their spiritual father. They loved they loved Joyce Myers uh, as as like the prophetess of God, and, and uh, but what it ultimately came down to is they said just just as long as they love Jesus and are doing good uh, that that uh, who can how can we say that they're not a Christian? God will sort them out. And says how can you know what what God says? I'm like because the Bible. The Bible says. I know what God says because I know what the Bible says. And they got so mad yelling at me to shut up and yelling at me. They said like, like accusations and they're saying I'm prideful and arrogant and I'm the only one to know who believes that I'm the only one that's right in the world and going on all the accusations and mad and oh my goodness. And this blind, blind delusion upon their mind. They just don't get it. And ultimately, what it came down to, and I pointed out to this individual, I said, look, what you're saying, and this, they said it, they said it. Relationships with people 
is more important than salvation. That's what they that's what they believe, that's what they said. They they said that multiple times. My wife overheard it too. She attests to it. This is what this individual said. Relationships is more important than salvation. And that's my wife right there. She heard it. It is insane. Absolutely insane. Absolute insanity. Nothing is more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all because someone says they love Jesus and they're doing wonderful good works, it doesn't mean they're saved. I, no, oh my goodness, this person that I was debating with, they went nuts. When, when, uh, because they, they brought up Mother Teresa, the, the, the crazy Catholic nun uh, who is working in charities and stuff. Uh, and I said, oh yeah, Mother Teresa's in hell. Oh my goodness, you'd think I slapped this person's mother. And oh my goodness, how could you say that? And because Mother Teresa did not believe the gospel according to scripture, she flat out admitted it. She didn't believe that salvation was by grace. She believed that salvation was by suffering. She said that was her teaching. But you only try to look for the bad in people. I'm like, no, I try to look to see if they believe the gospel or not. And uh, oh my goodness, they just, they got so mad. And they did, they, they did not want to, and, and they didn't use any scripture except one verse. They only quoted one verse and then cherry picked it like crazy to try to fit their own personal ideology. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't you believe that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved? I'm like, yes, but which Lord? What do you mean, which Lord? What do you mean, which Lord? There's only one Lord. I'm like, you're right. There is only one true Lord. But as Jesus says, many false Christs will come in the world and will deceive many. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. Which Jesus are they believing in? You ask the Buddhist, which Jesus do they believe in? Ask the Mormon, which Jesus do they believe in? Ask the Catholics, which, which Jesus are they believing in? It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Oh man, they got mad. There's only one God. There's only one Jesus. only one way. I'm like, you're right. And which one is that? There, uh, there, uh, there's many beliefs out there, many religions, many Jesuses, many false prophets will come and will deceive many. You gotta know what the Bible says. You gotta know what the Bible says. The God of this world is deliberately blinding people by bringing up different Jesuses. The Jesus of the Catholics is not the Jesus of the Bible. And they said, well, are you saying that there aren't any Christians in the Catholic Church? I said, look, is it possible that a person who's going to the Catholic Church could get saved by hearing a preacher elsewhere, get saved by someone giving them the gospel, get saved, and then go back either for a while and then realize that the Catholic Church is nonsense and leave, or that they deliberately go back to try to get their family out? Is that possible? Could that happen? Yes, absolutely. That could happen. A person gets saved, the Spirit of God isn't going to allow them to stay in the Catholic Church. But that's different from a person who is in the Catholic Church listening to the Catholic Gospel. There's no salvation. There is absolutely no salvation in the Roman Catholic Gospel. None.
There's no salvation in the Mormon gospel, the Jehovah's Witness gospel, the Seventh-day Adventist gospel. You cannot get saved by their gospels. They disagreed. But they said they believed in the same gospel as I did. They, they, I, I, I grilled this person. and They believe Jesus is God. They believe salvation is by grace. They believe you can't lose your salvation. But all this rest of this stuff is just nonsense. How could a person get so deluded? So unbelievably deluded. To the point that they were getting mad and name calling and everything else. Blindness. Blindness by the enemy. Deliberate, willful blood. Well, I've read the Bible for this many years and I'm older than you. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I said that is, that's irrelevant. Well, I've done this and I've done this and I do this and I do this. I'm like, that's irrelevant. How, how could you say it's irrelevant? That's literally what they were doing. Oh, man, they get mad. I just kept bringing it back. To two things i just kept kept constantly 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 bringing it back to two things i says all everything else is irrelevant i said to this person everything else you're saying is irrelevant it doesn't matter doesn't matter it comes down to that jesus is god almighty manifest in the flesh he saves by grace through faith to belief alone if anybody contradicts this they are not saved it doesn't matter who they are where they are what they are what's going on it doesn't matter how nice they are. It doesn't matter how much they say they love Jesus. It doesn't matter what they've done for charities. It doesn't matter how much of a nice person they are. It doesn't matter if they go to church. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. If they, if they contradict these two points, they're not saved. They disagreed. It's that cursed, cursed neo-ecumenical movement of charismatic teaching of the social gospel the seeker-sensitive gospel, the all-inclusive Joel Osteen gospel. Oh, this person was a huge fan of Joel Osteen. But verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach not ourselves, and this person that I was debating, oh, non-stop bragging about themselves. It's all about, the, we have to build relationships and build, we just love them and love the person. And we do good and we do and we do and we do and we do. And they'll want to say because of, because of us, because of what we're doing, because I've done, because I've achieved and I do this and I help in that. What does it say? We preach not ourselves. We preach not ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not about what I'm achieving. It's not about what I accomplish. It doesn't, it's not about me. We preach not ourselves. It's about Jesus Christ. A person's salvation is more important than relationships. What did Jesus say? He said, if they will not listen to you, if they will not accept the gospel that you're saying, leave. Walk away. Get away from them. Go somewhere else. Brush off the dust of your feet. Avoid them. Get away from them. Withdraw from them. 
No, we need to build relationships. I'm sorry, you're wrong. I feel the need to correct you. This person then went on to accuse me of having a religious spirit. <laughs> this person said, said, I don't feel loved right now. You have a religious spirit on you. And I rebuke this religious spirit. I just laughed. And said, oh, that's just that nonsense that you charismatics say to anybody who stands on the Bible that you disagree with. Whoa, that didn't go over well. They didn't like that. <laughs> I just kept pouring scripture, verse after verse, after passage, after passage, after scripture, after scripture, and scripture, and scripture, and scripture. And, and that they just, they had no argument. Olga says, what's a religious spirit? That is a charismatic term that the charismatics use for anybody who just staunchly, fundamentally, conservatively only stands on, on biblical doctrine. Because they believe the Bible is open to personal interpretation. They believe that there's prophets and prophetesses today. This individual I was debating believed themselves to be a prophetess. That God speaks to them directly outside of the Bible. That, that, that this person believes that they have God thoughts. That, that the actual mind of God is in their mind. And that, that their thoughts that they have is God's thoughts. They actually believe that. And... Yeah, so, so anybody who just stands on, on staunch biblical doctrine has a religious spirit and, and isn't be able to be moved by the Holy Spirit. So they rebuke that religious spirit. <laughs> so I just told, told them that's a bunch of nonsense. They got mad. They were already mad. They got madder. And uh, I, I just kept bringing it back to the two things. I'm like, look, look at what you're saying. Do you not hear yourself? Do you not understand what you're saying? You're literally saying that relationships is more important than salvation. Like it's not. Salvation, the gospel is more important than relationships. They say, I disagree. I have to disagree. No, you're wrong. I couldn't get anywhere with them. I, I used every angle. I just, I just had to shake my head and say, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, and you're, you're back burnering the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're pushing the gospel to the back burner because you believe that feelings and opinions and relationships is more important than the gospel. It says, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And I had to walk away. Oh, they were. They were so mad, they were stomping back and forth, stomping back and forth, shaking with anger, finger in my face. Oh, they were furious. <laughs> I just stood on the Bible. I just kept throwing scripture. I refused to move physically and, uh, and doctrinally. I refused to move. Like, no. This is what it says. No, this is what it says. Oh, they were furious. Then they brought up Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> you don't do that. I, they brought up Kenneth Copeland. I'm like, oh yeah, he's a demoniac. Oh, they got mad. 
Like, yeah, he he calls himself Almighty God, and his stupid gospel is that Jesus died on the cross so you could get a new Mercedes. They didn't like that. Then they brought up Joyce Myers. Oh, don't do that. And like, oh yeah, she she's she's crazy. She's a false prophetess. She believes God has tattoos, and that Jesus turned into a into a sinful, demonic, twisted being on the cross and stopped being the Son of God and went to went to burn in hell for our atonement. Yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. It just what does it say? Anything that anybody brings, you just if it contradicts the word of God, call it out. Now here's the thing. Many people will disagree with me. They're saying, well, you shouldn't have gotten like that. You should not have gotten upset. You should not have been uh, been as harsh as you were. You should be in all meekness and all gentleness. And that's what this person even accused me of. So you're not being gentle. You're not being being humble. You, you, you're not being very nice right now. Well, I wasn't. I was, uh, after they said, just leave people in their sin, let people go to hell, I got really upset. This person called himself a Christian. Anyways, I, uh, I, after it was all done, I did feel bad about how it went. I didn't want it to go that way. I felt that I had not controlled myself well. And I got, I had gotten too worked up too passionate maybe that night was prayer meeting at our church and i was kind of in it after in my head i was just kind of shaking my head just why 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 did it go like that and we went to prayer meeting that evening after that huge long hour long heated fiery debate and I personally believe the relationship that I had with that person is gone now. <laughs> I, I, I will never be on good terms with that individual ever again. Anyways, we went to prayer meeting that evening. And as we do in our church is uh, uh, we take turns reading the Bible. We take a passage of scripture and we read uh, and the, it starts with the pastor he reads a couple verses then the next person and we just kind of go around the church and everybody reads a couple verses and we just reread x amount of chapters or whatever in in our congregational reading we all take turns and it just so happened the way that god works things out because i was feeling bad I was still worked up and I was kind of upset at myself and and then it just so happened that we were going to be reading the book of Titus and I wasn't really thinking about it and the and, and the, the pastor says okay we're going to read Titus we'll just read the the first two chapters and I looked down and I see it's well, there's only three chapters and it's actually a kind of a short book i'm like well why don't we just read all three like okay let's read all three and so so we read the book of titus and as we're going down i'm going to read to you chapter one i started well quietly laughing when we started reading titus chapter one this is why titus chapter one Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began 
but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Here it is, verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, saith the Cretans are always liars and evil beasts of slow bellies. This witness is truth, whereby rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth unto the pure, all things are pure, and unto them that are defiled, unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient unto every good work, a reprobate, but speak thou the things to become sound doctrine. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it goes on and on like this, all through the whole book of Titus. And you get down to Titus chapter 3. It just goes on about the, the avoiding contentious strives of words of these people that are heretics and they, they know not the truth. But it was especially the part right here, I personally believe that was God justifying me in what, what happened. Rebuke them sharply. Because this person that I was debating started accusing me of being being uncontrolled and being angry and all this other stuff. And then I said to them, you would probably say the same thing to John the Baptist when he was telling off the Pharisees. You would say the same thing to the Apostle Paul when he told off Elymas. You would say the same thing to Jesus when he got angry and told, told off the Pharisees and Sadducees, even calling them names. John the Baptist called them names. And even uh, what about Elijah telling off and mocking the prophets of Baal? You'd probably tell those people off, uh, wouldn't you, for being being for being aggressive and judgmental rebuke them sharply some people need to be told off that as the bible says reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine reprove is to instruct to try to teach them to show them to show them what it is and if they will not accept it rebuke them and sometimes sometimes they need to be told off harshly the bible says so so anybody who would ever say, don't judge, don't ever be aggressive, they don't know what they're talking about. Yes, in meekness instructing those, that's the first, that's the first uh, coming to them to, uh, to teach them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go to them nicely. And that's what I did with this person. But they didn't listen. And then they said to leave people in their sin. I told them off. Showed them how that's wrong. And then they got all mad. And I had to, I had to... Uh, Try to try to get a word in edgewise with them. Some people need to be told off harshly. Rebuke them sharply. 
We preach not ourselves. We preach not ourselves. It's not about me. Has nothing to do with my feelings. Has nothing to do with my person. Has nothing to do with my accomplishments or any of that. Has nothing to do with me. This person kept trying to turn it around about me, trying to make it all about me. I said, no, has nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you are backburnering. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord. It's all about him. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus Christ's sake. Ourselves, the servants of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm just a lowly servant. I'm a nobody. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the faith. It's all about doctrine. This person rejected rejected on that they, they did not believe that doctrinal accuracy was important they even said that they they denied it when i pointed out but you do you not see the importance of biblical accuracy uh, the doctrine accuracy that if that if they're contradicting it that that they're wrong that they didn't see that as important verse 6 for god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ the knowledge of god the knowledge of jesus christ which comes after the word of god what scripture says not what anything else says was i wrong some people said, said, oh, you should, should, should never just, you should never get involved with that. You never get again to debates like that. Don't get drawn into that. I disagree. I disagree vehemently because that's what the Bible says to do. The Bible says to go out and preach the gospel to every creature and certain, and certain people that come along that oppose the faith, they need to be told off. They need to be exposed and the saints need to be warned against them. To expose darkness, expose sin, judge righteously. We need Christians with backbones who'll stand up and speak the truth and not care about feelings. The gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation, is more important than relationships. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than relationships. Seeking one's salvation is more important than relationships. It doesn't matter. What anyone else says or thinks, it doesn't matter about their feelings. Feelings and opinions are irrelevant. What the gospel says is the only thing that's relevant. And anyone that would disagree with that doesn't understand. Does that mean we go around and aggressively preach it every No, because it's not about me. It's not about you. I don't preach vehemently or aggressively. It's not my emotions. Of course, in passion, in sincerity, and zealousness, absolutely. Tempered with meekness. But there are times. Why, why did the Apostle Paul tell off Elymas so vehemently? Why did John the Baptist get so worked up at the River Jordan? Were they uncontrolled? Why did, did Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal? Was that wrong? What about Jesus telling off the religious rulers and Jesus calling them names? Was that wrong? You see, when it, when it comes down to it, you pay attention to the words and the accusations that these, that these ones of God and, and that Jesus used. You see that they're truths 
That's not, it's not like calling the person, you're just an idiot. That's not right. But to use the language of the scriptures we see here, for example, Paul the Apostle with Elymas the Sorcerer, O thou full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? From henceforth thou shalt be blind for a season. That was rather harsh, Paul. That wasn't loving. Paul, that wasn't loving. Elymas didn't feel loved there at the moment. Paul had a religious spirit. But the servants of the Lord are to speak in passion as of the Lord. And it's the Spirit of God that gets stirred up. Righteous anger. Righteous anger is not my anger. You see, my anger is emotional anger. It's of my emotions of the moment. But when you're walking with the Lord and you're speaking truth, and, and someone is contradicting the word and is pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the back burner and is and is speaking heresies, there's a different anger that comes up. Not an emotional anger. It's a righteous anger. That's the anger of the Spirit of God within you. The, the Spirit of God gets angry. The Spirit of God starts speaking up. Is the, the, Holy, the, the Holy Ghost's back gets up and then he stands up and starts speaking back. He starts telling them off. He starts calling out and the Spirit of God gets aggressive. The Spirit of God gets aggressive. You don't believe that? You don't understand the Bible. The Spirit of God gets aggressive. He'll push back. God is no wimp. You, you can't push him around. He'll push back. He pushes back with doctrine. With doctrine, theology, scripture, Bible, truth, righteousness. He says, no, this is what it is. You're wrong. And sometimes it'll just come out. It'll just come out in that way. And some people need to be told off. We can't be afraid to allow the Spirit of God to use us in this. Well, I want people to like me over doctrine are you honestly saying that that relationships is more important than doctrinal truth is that what you're saying i will disagree to the ends of the earth on that i do not care who or what it is if they're wrong they're wrong and i'm going to say that's wrong regardless of what that does with the relationship because the word of god doctrine theology the gospel the person of christ the truth of god the righteousness of god is more important than relationships if you don't agree then you're wrong you're wrong well who do you think you are servant of the lord telling you the bible well that's just your, your your interpretation no there's only one interpretation what it says is what it means if you don't like that and you got a problem and you got a big problem for we preach not ourselves 
Do you understand what that means? We preach not ourselves. We don't preach our feelings. We don't preach our emotions. We don't preach our opinions. We don't preach in such a way as to appease myself and others to maintain what I feel I want about this. I don't, I don't modify the preaching to maintain relationship. What it says, what it means. Now, but what about Jesus sitting down with sinners? Didn't he modify it? No. He said the truth and he didn't water it down. It's in how he said it. You don't change the words. You don't change the words. You change the tone. And that's what Jesus did. He went to them in meekness in, in the first. And if persons were, were willing to listen, he showed them. And then you look at times and they were not willing to listen. Pharisees would come to him and he and he would and he would answer them. And then sometimes he would tell them off because they weren't desiring to listen. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, came to Jesus and Jesus spoke to him in meekness. But when others came to him, other Pharisees came to him and asked him questions in an obstinate prideful manner and and Jesus knew their hearts, told them off. So we see there's, te there's tempered at first. And if they're not willing, if they're opposing, if they're objecting, if they're fighting and bickering about this, they will not listen to it. They must be told that they are wrong. Their error must be exposed. People say, well, you know, that's, that's wrong. That's not the spirit of Christ. Then you don't understand Christ. You don't understand the Jesus of the Bible. Your Jesus is some sissy, namby-pamby, limp-wristed, hipster Jesus that has no backbone. The Jesus of the Bible had calloused hands, and he, he walked the dusty roads, and he, he didn't care where the chips fell. He let the chips fall where they might. He called a spade a spade. He was not afraid to stand up and speak out and to tell the truth. He wasn't afraid to lose relationships. He wasn't afraid of other people's opinions and feelings. And neither should we be. If we're afraid of other people's feelings and opinions, then that means we care more about that than the doctrine. It's a battle. We're here in a battle. This isn't a playground. This is a battleground. This isn't a playground. We're not here playing games and dancing. This isn't a dance. This isn't a, some some square dance in the barn where we just kind of dance around the bush and dance on people's feelings. No, this is a battleground. We're warring against sin and devils. We're warring for people's souls. We're here to expose the false prophets so that people will know who are the true prophets of God. We're here to speak the truth so they know who, who the true preachers of God are. How can people know where the truth is if, if there's no objection against error? God hates the darkness, hates sin. He hates the devils. And, and the wrath of God is upon sin. What about this day of wrath? God is wrathful upon sin. And the sword of God's judgment is falling upon their necks. And they must be warned. They must be told the truth. And we can't water down the truth just to appease their feelings so they can go to hell more comfortably. It doesn't matter who they are. All because they say they love Jesus doesn't mean they're a Christian. All because they do tons of good things doesn't mean that they're Christian. Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. But have we not done, have we not done, have we not done? Jesus says, I don't know you. Because they rejected the truth. Doctrinal accuracy. 
which Jesus, which gospel, which doctrine? There is only one God, one Lord, one way. But how can we show this to people if we're, if we're not exposing what is wrong? Which path is the wrong path? God commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's a commandment of God Almighty. Just as we see the Ten Commandments, and we uphold those as so important, the Ten Commandments. But go into all the world and preach the gospel is a commandment of God. It goes right there. The Eleventh Commandment, preach the gospel. The Twelfth Commandment, expose sin. The Thirteenth Commandment, to stand fast in the doctrine wherewith you've been taught. The Fourteenth Commandment, gather together. Fifteenth Commandment, to wage war against the devil. There's more than Ten Commandments, folks. And if you don't see the importance of doctrinal accuracy, then what are you doing? What do you think this is about? I'm not talking to you folks specifically. This is all in general. As I'm all stirred up right now. I'm talking in general. To all people. Anyone who will hear this. What are you doing? What do you think you're here for? What do you think Christianity is about? You can just believe in Jesus and now you can lay back and put your feet up? You think it's now just a playground? It's all about a field of daisies? You think, and you think that it's all about your best life now? Jesus died on the cross. You could just be in a comfortable physical life. What do you think this is about? What are we here for? Saved from what? And if you're not exposing sin, if you're not preaching the gospel salvation from sin, that the redemption of Jesus Christ from the condemnation of sin, if you're not preaching about how a person is saved from the wrath of God, then what gospel are you preaching? Which Jesus are you showing people? Which cross are you revealing? You, are you sawing off and sanding off the rough edges of the cross so it's so that it's not it, it doesn't assault the feelings of the hearers? We need the rough edges of the cross. We need to get our back up, our fur up from time to time to show people how they're wrong, to point out sin and error. We need to, to be dogmatic about the faith. We need to stand upon the fundamentals of the faith. It's not about us, but it's about God, and this is the character of God. And God lets the chips fall where they might, and he doesn't care about feelings. If you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And calling sin, sin is not wrong. And preaching the adamant fundamentals of God is not wrong. Judging sin is not wrong. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus, what would Jesus do? Flipping tables and making whips and driving people out of the temple is something Jesus would do. You ever give that a thought? exposing sin and calling people for what they are calling their bluffs and, and showing them what they are and and call and pulling away the blanket and revealing the true mechanics of darkness in their heart is not wrong the light of god shines in darkness and it is offensive the gospel of jesus christ is offensive it assaults all of the senses. The gospel of Jesus Christ assaults your feelings. It assaults your emotions. It assaults your preconceptions. It assaults your life. 
That's the point. To wake people up out of their darkness. To show them how they are wrong. And how they need to get themselves right with the Lord. And there's only one way. And that there aren't other ways. There are, there are a million, billion ways to hell. There's only one way to heaven. And the way is narrow. It's very narrow. It's not all inclusive. You could say you love Jesus all the way to hell. You could say you believe in Jesus all the way to hell. If your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. If your gospel is not the gospel of the Bible. If you have not believed according to scriptures. The gospel that is according to scriptures. And if you don't get that right. If you get that wrong. If you change the person of Jesus Christ. If you water down his sovereignty. If you add to the gospel of grace. If you modify it, change it, twist it. You're going to hell. That's what it says. That's not wrong to say it. It's not wrong to offend people. But offend them with the truth. And it doesn't matter if it offends them, then so be it. It's the truth. I'm not going to apologize for the truth. I'm not going to apologize for quoting scripture. I'm not going to apologize for upsetting you. I'm not going to ever apologize for standing on the, on the fundamentals of the faith and this gospel. I'm not going to apologize for calling sin, sin. I'm not going to apologize all because you got your feelings out of whack. Because I was a bit, uh, er uh, not arrogant, but aggressive in this. People call it arrogant. You're arrogant because you think you're the only one right, but it's not about me. Biblical arrogance? God's arrogance? Is it arrogance? Is it arrogant to say that say that I'm right? That I'm right, you're wrong, because it's what the Bible says. It's not arrogant. What does it say? What does the Bible say? Look at the attitude of Elijah Mount Carmel. Was he wrong? Was he wrong? John the Baptist at the River Jordan. Oh, generation of vipers. Who's, who's told you to flee from the wrath to come? And tells them, up. was he wrong? Jesus calling the Pharisees names. Calling the Sadducees names. Telling them that they're children of their father, the devil. Was he wrong? Paul the Apostle telling off Elymas and harshly rebuking him. Calling him names. Was he wrong? Was Gideon wrong in tell, telling off the worshippers of Baal, telling them they're wrong and taking hammers to their religious icons? Was he wrong? Was Moses wrong for standing up against Pharaoh, telling him off, warning him, and harshly rebuking him? Was he wrong? Was Noah wrong for not opening the door of the ark more wide to be more inclusive? Was he wrong? It's not arrogance. dogmatism on the fundamentals of the word what it says is what it means not everybody who says they love jesus is of god but many many in the day that means multitudes upon multitudes will be screaming lord lord multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes crowds on crowds will be screaming lord lord they'll be calling him lord They'll be calling Jesus Lord because they believed that the Jesus of their imagination is the Jesus of the Bible. That's Romans 1, 18 to 25. They changed the truth of God into a lie. They changed his very person to fit the, to fit the ideologies of their own mind. Their God, their Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. But how can we know which Jesus is right? What does it say? You stand on that, refuse to move. 
And if you have to defend it, then defend it. If that means getting worked up, get worked up. Get worked up about the faith. Get worked up about sin. Get worked up about the gospel. Because if you're not getting worked up, you won't witness. Because you only witness when you get worked up about truth. You get worked up. It's time the saints got worked up about something. Stop laying back. And let people walk over. Stop Stop letting the cults have the platform. Stop letting them have the microphone once in a while. Start getting up and saying the truth and calling out error and preaching righteousness. Get worked up. It was Paul and Silas got worked up in the dungeon. That's what caused them to start singing so boldly. Do you not think, do you, do you not think that all the other prisoners would have been mocking them when they're singing about Jesus? When Paul and Silas are beaten up and chained up in the stocks in the deepest dungeon, they're singing, they're singing the, uh, the, the, the hymns of the faith. Do you not think all the other prisoners, all the other criminals would have been mocking them? They didn't care about their feelings because God must be glorified. He must be magnified. And I'm not going to censor myself over the feelings of someone else. I am not going to censor the faith all because some pagans, some heretics, some unbelievers, because some, some cherry-picking twisters, twistians, not Christians, twistians, don't like what I'm saying. I'm going to preach the truth and I don't care what anyone else says. It's time the saints got worked up. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He commanded. He commands. The commandment of God says the light must shine out of darkness. We are in this dark world. We must shine. We must get out there. We must be the candle on the hill. We must draw all eyes to Christ. We must keep the faith. Why would you not want to? Be, uh, if you don't want to, if you make excuses for it, then that means you're ashamed. It's what it says. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would it mean? What would it imply? What would be the implication of being ashamed? Not defending the truth. Letting error go. Letting them be in their error. If I, if I did not correct that Church of Christ pastor, if I didn't correct him, then that means I'm ashamed of the gospel. I'm ashamed of Jesus Christ. Refusing to hand out gospel tracts, I'm ashamed of Jesus Christ. Refusing to correct sin, I'm ashamed of Jesus Christ. Refusing to stand up and witness of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm ashamed of Christ. That's what it means. And it's not arrogance. It's not pridefulness. It's not, it's not uh, opposing humility. It's not being, un it would be more unloving. It would be unloving to not speak up. It is actually the love of Jesus Christ. It is the love of God. It's Christ-like love. It is loving to tell people that they're wrong. An unloving parent never disciplines their children. An unloving Christian Never speaks of Christ publicly. Never witnesses, never speaks up, never defends the faith. God commands, commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And this light has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
the knowledge of God. How can I get the knowledge of God? Study. Taking the faith seriously. You're ashamed of Jesus Christ if you don't take the faith seriously. You're ashamed of Jesus Christ if you don't study the word and don't spend time with him. Why would you not want to? Because you don't take him seriously. But to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John 1, 4-5, the light has shined in this world. Verse John 1, 5-7, again about the, the light of Christ that has saved us from the darkness of this world. And we have this treasure, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Not of us, it's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about what I have or what I am. But it's about the excellency of the power of Jesus Christ. Must be defended. It must be preached. It must be declared. And if no one else will do it, then I will. No one else will stand with me, then I'll stand alone. I don't need you then. I'm going to go anyways. You refuse to come? All the other prophets of Israel. There were 7,000 others that had not bowed the knee to the prophets of Baal. 7,000 other servants of... Where were they on Mount Carmel? Where were they? They didn't stand with, with Elijah. And Paul says, when I went to give my first answer, when he was called up before Nero, says, no one else stood with me. I was all alone. I was all alone. No one stood with me. But Christ stood with me. No other Christian, not one single other Christian, stood with the Apostle Paul before Nero. Because they were afraid. Fearful Christians. Cowardly Christians. Christians that are too afraid to speak up. Too afraid to ruffle the feathers. Too afraid to rub fur the wrong way. Too afraid to offend the hearers. Too afraid of the pagans. That they're more afraid of, uh, of the things of this world than they have the fear of God. They, they don't have the fear of God because the fear of God is what makes you stand up and speak the power of God. We are inundated with cowardly Christians who won't stand up, who won't speak out, who won't correct error, who won't do what they're told by the commandment of God, who won't rebuke. Think about it. How many Christians do you know who will biblically rebuke sin and error and heresy? Oh, they'll do it behind the safety of the screen. Oh, they might send the text or a tweet, or they might do it in some anonymous video. But when it comes to person, they will not stand up in person. They will not go out and do it. They will not make themselves known. Oh, they'll do it from the safety of their living room, but they won't get out there. They won't do the work. They won't stand up publicly for Jesus Christ. They won't speak of Jesus Christ publicly. They won't hand out the tracts publicly. They won't declare the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're too afraid of what others may think. But we have this treasure, and we're not sharing it. The excellency of the power. The power of God unto salvation. And we sap this power and make it some limp-wristed social gospel. We sand off the rough edges of the cross. It's not a powerful sword. It turns into a butter knife. 
the sword of God's a claymore. This huge sword that hits like a war hammer, that billows fire. The devils are terrified of it. And Christians won't manifest its power. So many Christians, they sap the power of God out and they, and they shrivel up Jesus. But Jesus is a mighty man, a mighty God. Musculared arms, calloused hands, fiery words, fire in his eyes. And he would speak the truth unashamed. Why can't we? The apostles, they stood in front, in front of the, the, the Sanhedrin, told them off. We ought to be God rather than men. And how many Christians today will stand up against governmental error and speak out about the, about the gospel instead of making it all about politics and social issues? May people perish for lack of knowledge. It's knowledge of doctrine. It's knowledge of doctrine. We are troubled on every side. There will always be trouble. There will always be errors. There will always be heathens. There will always be pagans. There will always be heretics. But it's how we handle it. The people must know what side we're on. We can't walk the fence. We can't, we can't blur the lines. We can't blur, blur the lines. This is a battlefield, folks. It's a battlefield. We must stand adamantly, fund fundamentally, dogmatically on the word of God. People want to call us arrogant. Let them call us arrogant. They want to call us aggressive. Let them call us aggressive. Let them call the names they did so against our Lord. What makes you think that you're any different? What makes you think that they're going to treat you any different if that's how they treated your Lord? But we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. I'm not worried about it. I don't care what they think. I don't care about the repercussions. But not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Like, perplexed. Like, look at the insanity that's all around us. But I'm not in despair about it. Not, I'm not in woes and despair. It's like, this is, it is what it is. We were told this is what it is, and we were told what to do about it persecuted but not forsaken of course they're gonna hate me they hated jesus he says all those who hate you because they're hating you because they hate me in this world you will suffer persecution get over it stop wallowing in misery stop crying about it get up brush away the, the tears strengthen your back get out there and speak the truth tell them they're wrong tell them off Persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. Oh, they'll knock you down. They'll try to pull up the carpet from under your feet. They'll try to censor you. They'll delete your videos. Delete your pics. Delete all this stuff. They'll oppose you. Try to shut you down. They'll try to chain the churches. They'll try to haul you up before courts and magistrates. They'll try to throw you in jail. Let them. Who cares? Keep preaching. Keep standing for the faith. Keep standing up. Keep being strong. Equip, equip you like men. Be strong. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Do you know how to fight? Do you know how to fight? I'm not talking about, you know, you know like pugilism. Like put your fist up. I'm talking about in word. Oh, you know how to fight about politics. You know how to fight about sports and everything else. Do you know how to fight doctrine? Do you know how to fight doctrine? And that's what happened the other day. It was a war. It was a fight over doctrine. Sometimes you gotta fight. Sometimes you need to fight. Sometimes you gotta rebuke them sharply. Do you know how to fight? 
If someone came and started attacking your family, would you fight for your family? If someone started attacking your kids, would you would you fight for your kids? Start attacking your spouse? Would you fight for your spouse? Would you fight to defend your home? Would you fight for our Lord? Would you fight for the cross? Would you fight for the church? Would you fight for heaven? Would you fight for salvation? Would you fight against the heretics? Would you fight against the false prophets? Would you put your neck on the line? Would you put your honor on the line? Would you put your feelings, your respect? Would you put the respect other people might have for you? Would you put all that on the line if it meant standing for the truth? Would you? You say you would, would you? Would you fight? Sometimes you gotta. And when the prophets of Baal, when the daughters of Moloch, when the brides of when the brides of Moloch stand up, when the heretics and the twistians stand up, someone's got to tell them off. Someone's got to expose them. Someone's got to oppose them. Someone's got to stand for the truth. And if it's not going to be you, then who is it? Well, that's someone else's job. Who? Oh. Well, that's the pastor's job. Really? Really? Does he have to do everything? That mean you get a free you, you get the, a free ride. You get put your feet up. You don't have to do anything. It's his job. He's got to do all the evangelism. He's got to do all the teaching. He's got to do all the preaching. He's got to do all the upkeep. He's got to do everything. You don't have to do anything. The Bible calls all all Christians disciples. The command of God is to all Christians, men and women, that all are to get out there, get on the front lines, get busy, start battling. Start studying, start memorizing, start preaching, start declaring, start evangelizing, start working to build the calluses. The calloused hands and the calloused back. To be able to take it. To take the persecution. To take the scars. To stand for the Lord. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. For I die daily, as Paul says. <laughs> I die daily. You feel like dying sometimes? Get in line. You'll lose friends. You'll lose family. You may lose jobs. You may lose respect. You may lose your social standing. You may lose your platforms. You may lose everything. You may lose your life. But isn't it worth it? Is it not worth it? Is it not worth every penny? Is it not worth every drop of sweat? Is it not worth every drop of blood? Is it not worth every, every person in your life? Is it not worth it to speak for the Lord? Because what does it mean to be silent? We cannot be silent. We cannot be, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Some people just say, well, I just can't do that because you're ashamed. Well, I can't stand it because you're ashamed. Well, I can't handle it. You, that's your excuse because you're ashamed because you don't want to. Because you're too afraid of the outcome. You're too afraid to stand up. You're too afraid of them getting mad. You're too afraid what what might happen to you. You're too afraid because you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about others. You're thinking about circumstances because you're too afraid. Weren't, wasn't the Fox's Book of Martyrs, weren't they all afraid? 
Weren't the apostles afraid? Weren't the disciples afraid? Do you think I'm not afraid? The, it, you, you, it, it's a good thing to be afraid. But don't let the fear override the truth, override what must be said, what must be done. What must be done. And if that's standing against the prophets of Baal, or standing up against the Sanhedrin, or standing up against Nero, or standing up against the heretics, standing up against, against others, standing up against your family, then, must, then so be it. Then that's what it must be. But stand and refuse to move. Refuse to move from the truth. What it says is what it means. And if you don't like it, tough. Our best friend Jesus, like I said in chapter 3, our best friend Jesus, he, he fights. He's not afraid of a good old, a good old fight of faith. He's not afraid as he's the Lion of Judah. And as God shakes with 